This is Rabbi Sharon Brous, Rabbi Adi Kar, where we're dedicated to reinvigorating Jewish community, ritual, and learning, all while laying the foundation for a just and loving society. You're listening to Ikar's podcast, where you can hear our sermons from Shabbat and holidays, our teachings, our guest speakers, basically anything we think worth hearing that we can capture and stream, you can listen to right here. The whole Megillah. I mean, literally the whole Megillah. So thank you so much for being with us. Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Shabbat Shalom. Mazel Tov. Mazel Tov to Josie. Um, here we are back inside. Um, it it is, uh, feels a little different and things are always changing. And I am remembering that it, it is, I'm coming up on four years. July, it'll be four years here at Icar. And uh, yeah, so it's like, it's a, it feels like a chance for me, you know, when you pass these, these marker points to, to, to look back, uh, it's a little bit like, you know, four years in college, you know, like to, to look back at, uh, at my freshman year and, um, and to remember uh, what it was like when I started, and especially um, giving a sermon on a particular Parsha, I have now the opportunity to start to remember, oh, what I said about this Parsha, I gave a sermon on this Parsha three years ago, four years ago. Um, so it's nice to be able to reflect on where I was at the time. And it's, it's also an opportunity in, in college fashion to, to look back at my freshman or sophomore year and to remember some of the, the dumb things that I, that I did and, and said. And I have that experience sometimes when I, when I go back and I look at my, what did I say about this back then? And, I, and I, sometimes I, I can't understand exactly what I was trying to say. I have, I have that problem. I don't know if you have that problem with what I say sometimes. Sometimes it's totally incoherent. Um, and sometimes I think, why did I say that? You know, did I really think that? I, I don't know if I think that anymore. Um, and I had that experience uh, this week, looking at this week's uh, Parsha, Parshat Balotcha, and remembering speaking on it before. And I found myself wondering, did I really think that? And I found myself reading it entirely different, differently this year. Um, the scene which captured my attention again this year is from chapter 11 of the Book of Numbers. That's on page 827 in this red book, if you wanna follow along. Um, and this is really where the Book of Numbers, the Book of Bamidbar really begins. The first 10 chapters is just very detail heavy, feels like a lot of miscellany. And then suddenly chapter 11 erupts with this line. And the people took to complaining bitterly before the Lord, literally in the ears of God. The people began complaining bitterly. And God gets angry and uh, starts to punish them. A big fire breaks out and then they get scared and cry out and Moses prays to God on their behalf and the fire dies down. And, and that is a pattern which is going to repeat itself again and again and again and again throughout the Torah and really throughout the entire Tanakh. You see it in the book of Judges, for example, again and again and again. The people are bad and God gets upset and God punishes them and somebody prays on their behalf and things get calm again. In fact, as if to signal this is going to be a cycle, the cycle even repeats itself immediately here in the very next lines in, uh, in verse 4. 
That's a great word. Bahasafsuf, the riffraff. Great translation, too. Bahasafsuf, asher bikirbo, the riffraff in their midst. Hitavu ta'ava. They felt a gluttonous craving. And the Israelites wept and said, ah, oh, if only we had meat to eat. Some people feel that at uh, Ikar, Ikar Kiddush. If only we had meat to eat. And they start remembering the food that they used to eat in Egypt for free, they say, for free. And they list them, cucumbers and melons and leeks. Oh, how good we had it when we were slaves in Egypt. What? It's sort of galling, this display of ingratitude after the, the greatest force of liberation that the world has ever known came down and freed them from bondage. And let's not forget, is feeding them mana from the sky, raining down from the sky. So I guess when I read that a few years ago, I felt, as I, as I often ha have felt before, a certain disdain for the people. Like, ugh, grow up. What a pathetic display. And I, I also felt like, oh, I know these people. Whiny Jews. Mitonanim, <laughs> complaining. We have our own word for it, kvetching. Kvetching. And it's a national pastime. I, I come across complaining Jews now, now and again in my line of work. But you know, <laughs> but you know, the truth is, the truth is you spot it, you got it. And, and I really felt disdain for the children of Israel because I recognize that behavior in myself. I am a huge complainer, actually. Some of you are nodding. <laughs> it's almost like a way of life for me. It's, it's certainly a way of making conversation. How are you doing? Well, let's see, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm exhausted. I'm outraged, I'm annoyed, I'm lonely, I'm anxious, I'm scared. How are you doing? And I think I've always been kind of a glass empty kind of guy. Wherever I am in life, I always notice what's missing, what's lacking, what's unnecessary and burdensome. I'm a, I'm a complainer, I'm a mitonen. And so when I read about my ancestors complaining again and again, I, 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 I wanted to take them to task, to purge them of their, neg their negativity so that I could work to purge myself of that. And so when I read this passage a few years ago, I, I gravitated towards commentaries that offered a sharp critique. So Rashi, for example, who says that the complaining was, they didn't have anything to complain about. It was just a pretext, he said, Lashon Alila, an excuse to distance themselves from God. But the commentary that really stuck with me back then was one from Rabbi Yitzchak Arama, the Akedat Yitzchak, he was a late medieval Spanish rabbi and very much of the medieval Spanish spirit, scholarly, philosophical with little hints of Kabbalah. So this is what he said. At first, they had grumbling and discontent inside their hearts, but they did not reveal it in words. Only afterwards, when they brought their complaints into the form of words, did they express them as the longing for meat. So here he's, he's taking account of that, that doubled scene, the doubled complaining. So they took to complaining and then soon after they felt a, a gluttonous craving and started whining for meat. But he says, they did not really long for meat or anything else. And this is the line that really hit me. They simply longed for longing's sake. 
אבל היטבו תאוותו, which he says is much, much worse. היא מידה מגונה מאוד. They just longed for longing's sake. He's picking up on this, that language there, היטבו תאווה, which doesn't actually mean a gluttonous craving, but literally they craved a craving. And I read that to mean they were just complaining to be complaining, just being negative deliberately and making themselves miserable and making everybody else miserable with them, God and Moses included. And I, I just found that so disgraceful, so pitiful and useless. This is the problem, I thought. We have to stop complaining. I, I have to stop complaining. Stop being negative. You know, you're not that important. Your problems are not that important. So count your blessings and keep your dissatisfaction to yourself. Good, strong Musser from the Torah, good, strong moral message of, of chastisement. But this year, cycling through the Torah again, and I come upon the Mitonim, the complainers, with their complaints and their cries and their cravings. And this time around, I suddenly felt sorry for them. You know, I felt, I, I guess, compassion. You know, partially, I, I, I felt like, well, yeah, you know, it may sound unpleasant or ungrateful, and, and shouldn't they be grateful to God? But wait a minute, they're stuck out in the desert here. They have no real idea where they're going, and if they're going to make it at all, and it's dangerous, and they're scared, and yes, they have mana from heaven, but who knows how long that'll last. And anyway, honestly, if the idea is that Eat, you're, they're going to eat the same bland thing every day for 40 years, then okay, yeah, I, I get it. That does seem a little like torture. I'd be daydreaming of, of meat and melons myself. But it was more than just an appreciation of the context that made me sympathize, sympathize with the, the mitonim, mitonanim this year. I even read the, the same commentaries differently. They simply longed for longing's sake. And I think I know that feeling, that, that longing. In fact, this year, I think that feeling is a big part of what makes us human. There is in us a longing, sometimes unnameable, but all consuming. Existential philosophers are, are very good at describing it. They, they call it ennui or angst. We're, we're vaguely aware, even in the midst of abundance, we, we remain aware of some great emptiness within us, and we're plagued with a yearning to fill the void. But we don't know what will satisfy our longings. So we focus on all the things we lack in life, in various desperate attempts to find something outside of us that will bring us happiness. Sometimes we find temporary relief, but soon after we get what we want, the longing comes back. I dismissed that. I wanted to purge myself of that pathetic longing. But it always seems to come back. And this year, feeling a greater sympathy, maybe empathy for that feeling, I found another piece of commentary that, that made me feel better about it, that gave me some comfort. And this is from one of the, the greatest of the Hasidic commentators, the, a late Hasidic commentator, Rabbi Yehuda Aryeh Leib Alter of Ger, um, the, the Sfat Emet, or really the, the Sfas Emes, um, 19th century Polish uh, mystic with a poet's feel for language. 
And he's going to pick up also on that same language of hitavu ta'ava. They craved a craving. And uh, here I want to change the translation to they desired a desire. Hitavu ta'ava. This means, he says, that they didn't really have any desire. Lo hayalahem ta'ava. Because they were living above the natural order. Shayu lamalameateva. That is to say that God, they're, they're living this transcendent reality where God is doing everything for them. Miracles and mana. So it seemed to them that they ought to feel desire. They should, that it would be good and right for them to feel desire. That's why, the Svasana says, they go on to say, Nafshenu yevesha. Our, our souls are all dried up. So the Svasanas is saying that it's not only only natural, but that it's good. That desire is good. It's a part of who we are. We need to feel. We need to want. We need to long for something. We long to long for something. And that seems to me this year to be a deep part of the human condition as well. That truth, that desire goes all the way back, all the way back. When is the first time that desire is mentioned in the Torah? Garden of Eden. But Terehaisha, the, the woman saw kitov ha'etz lemachal, that the, that the tree was, was good for eating, and that it was a desire, a desire to the eyes. And this was before they ate from the fruit. It is a part of our nature. It is a part of who we are to see beauty, to see wonder, to see goodness in the world, and to desire it. Aviva Zornberg puts it, puts it perfectly in her, the title of her, of her book, the Genesis, The Beginning of Desire. So that's how I read it this year. Now, why did I read it so differently this year? I, I'm different, right? It, it's, it's always different. Maybe I've softened a little bit. But also, it has to be partially because of the great event that intervened between then and now, the pandemic. And especially, especially those early days of quarantine. Because that was a lot like the desert. Nothing to look at here, nothing at all. Every day is the same. In fact, I ate pretty much the same thing every day for about a year there. And before then, I had, there had been so much going on. I, I had been so busy. Our world had been so chaotic and busy and, and so full of complaints that the nothingness actually came to me as a kind of relief. One answer to desire is to strip it all away, to start again with nothing, to calm oneself down. But then, and we know this feeling, I think, then the nothingness becomes too empty, too dry. And we long to long again, to eat new things, to live new experiences, to desire again. And so I read that sequence in these two episodes of complaining. So much going on, the plagues and the revelation and the liberation and Mount Sinai. And in the midst of all that, something's still missing. I'm still complaining. 
And then there is a crisis. And then a fire breaks out and raises everything to the ground. And suddenly there is quiet as we step back and take stock of where we're at, of the most essential things in life. But then suddenly that too is, is empty and we need more and we need desire. There's an ongoing uh, discussion in Jewish thought on, on the role of pleasure and desire. Right? Some, some, some schools would tell us, and this is actually very midi classic medieval thought, that we, we need to curb our desires, contain our desires before they destroy us. Whereas other, the other approach, and this is emblematic of, of the Hasidic philosophy, is that our desires are good and they have to be embraced and channeled into, into holy purpose. So which is it? And of course, the Jewish answer to a binary question is always both, both. And so the Torah offers us both, or really the Torah as always offers us the possibility of reading both opposing truths into the same story. And so we always find ourselves in the Torah because it's only in the fullness of the human experience that we discover ourselves, that we discover the truth of who we are and what it means to be human. So I bless us this Shabbat with a Shabbat of contentment, but also with a Shabbat of desire. A Shabbat Shalom to you all. Hi, it's Rabbi Brass again. Thank you so much for listening. Want more content like this? I hope you'll subscribe and please consider making a contribution to Ikar so we can continue to work toward the fulfillment of our mission to reanimate Jewish life, to embody moral courage, to nurture the spirit and to work to decipher what it means to be a human being in the world today. Visit our website at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And I hope to see you maybe even in person sometime soon.